Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. Well, thanks Benj for inviting me to to join you this morning on Zoom. Um, You know, obviously everyone's probably a bit tired of Zoom church, but the greenhouse zoom looks like it's been going off you got international guests you got mike frost and then you got me i feel like i'm uh, letting the lineup down a bit starting to you, you've obviously ran out of the big favors you can you can call but um I'm, I'm really stoked to to be with you guys this morning um and uh yeah this sort of series i mean it's piqued my interest evangelism street preachers um what does it look like you know i I ask this question a lot what does it look like to have a healthy understanding of evangelism a word that has a lot of baggage potentially and may make some of us feel quite um awkward and cringy and i don't want to make assumptions some of you might be very comfortable with it but i guess for many of us um it is a word that brings with it a certain uh just internal reaction and so uh this morning let's unpack that a little bit in the context of what it looks like to be uh, street preachers at work and how we kind of think about how we perhaps spend the majority of our waking hours and what it looks like to be people that, that live and speak um, the good news of Jesus in that space. So I wanna start with um, a couple verses of scripture that are very easy to uh, skip over and that potentially you've never heard a sermon preached from, I'm not sure, but um, in the book of Luke, um in chapter two uh we have these two verses that are kind of similar they're space of heart of it but luke chapter 2 verse 40 um after all of the jesus being born stuff it says and the child grew and became strong he was filled with wisdom and the grace of god was on him and then in luke 2 uh, 52 we have and jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with god and man So the first verse is like him from a baby growing to a 12-year-old. He grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom. The grace of God was on him. Little 12-year-ish, you know, passage of time. And then the second one, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. This is after Jesus is 12 years old and he's at, you know, at the temple and he sort of um, has this interaction with Mary and Joseph around, of course, you know, I should have been here, you know, uh, at my father's house, doing my father's business type thing. Anyway, that, that verse, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man, basically covers 15 years um, or, or more, actually. What's uh, 12 to 30? Sorry, I'm not very good at maths. It's not my gift. It's not my, my area of work. Um, <laughs> so um, we have like, you know, 18 years covered in that little sentence. Um, and it's very easy to skip over and it's classic gospels, you know, um, I think it's the gospel of John that finishes by saying, you know, and if we were to write about everything Jesus did, the books would fill the whole earth. And we can sometimes forget that Jesus is so much more like three dimensional and uncontained and, you know, beyond the scope of just these little snapshots, these windows that we get in the gospels. But, um, I, I love to think about like, what was Jesus doing? when he was in that window of time, when he was growing in wisdom and stature, you know, he's like literally uh, going through puberty. He is, you know, his voice is breaking. Uh, He's starting to grow hair in funny places. 
um, you know, he's growing in favour with God and man um, as he's literally growing up, as he's becoming an integrated human being in the neighbourhood. You know, what was Jesus doing when he was 16 years old? What did a, a day in the life of Jesus look like when he was uh, 21? You know, did he, have a, did he have a big piss up for his birthday? Probably not. But, um, you know, what, what did Jesus' life look like when he was 24 or 25 or when he was 27 or 28? I mean, think about what your life looked like at these ages and have you ever wondered, you know, what was it like for Jesus to be a 23-year-old? Um, and what we know is that during that time, he was living a fairly normal life. He was working the family trade. You know, he picked up the, the family uh, business and, and, and sort of worked um, with Joseph, you know, a fairly ordinary life. And it's tempting to think that Jesus' life really just began when his public ministry began. It's tempting to think that Jesus' life really began at 30 years old. But there's a reason why he wasn't just like, you know, dropped in, teleported in as a 30-year-old. Jesus' whole life um, is a part of that incarnation work and that good news of God living a, a fully human life and being fully integrated into the neighbourhood. So, you know, I like to think that as well as working his job, he's down at the, the local pub or the local watering hole on, uh, you know, the cheap night, happy hour, whatever. You know, he's telling jokes with his, with his mates. Um, people know him. He has a reputation. And, um, you know, he's at the synagogue on the weekends. He's working essentially the equivalent of a nine to five during the week. And he's like a known part of the neighbourhood, um, integrated with the fabric of a place. And we could say that in essence, like the main kind of ministry outcome of the first three decades of Jesus' life um, was the development of his reputation, was just becoming a known and credible part of the neighbourhood. And so when his kind of like public ministry started, when his actual um, giving words to the, to the kingdom of God and, and, and performing miracles, it came in the context of somebody that had lived a normal life, worked a normal job, had a social network, um, and all of that is actually really important to the life and good news of Jesus, that he actually comes and fully integrates into humanity. And working a normal job wasn't something that Jesus had to just like patiently wait through until the kind of real ministry or the real action started. Um, it was part of that kind of holistic human life. And um, whilst some jobs suck more than others, and I'm sure we've all had days where we didn't want to work, um, I really believe that work is ultimately part of, um, I guess, the, the, the sacred work of being a human is work. Like work is part of how we actually be fully human as God intended. Um, Benj mentioned Rich Velotis before. I've got a couple quotes from him, um, but, but one in this context that's quite helpful, he says, according to many, the holy work is supposed to be exclusively that which relates to God, the church, missions, or humanitarian endeavours. And, of course, this work is holy, but it's not the only holy work. The work of artists, builders, teachers, parents, entrepreneurs, and bus drivers is on the same level. We collectively join to make the world a better place, each of us doing our part. 
to see all work as holy is a spiritual practice that pushes back on a spiritual elitism that obscures God's good vision for all creation. I just love that holistic, expansive, robust view of of work and, and of good news. And I guess if I'm thinking about like work and evangelism, one of the first things I want to say is that you're not just at work to just like wait for those opportune moments where you can like wedge in evangelism, like being at work is actually part of what it means to live out good news, uh, how we work, where we work, and we'll get to it. But um, when I'm talking about work, I'm talking about how we spend the majority of our hours cultivating things. And that can be cultivating our kids as parents. That can be cultivating our garden. You know, that can be our domestic work. Um, for in our family, managing NDIS plans because our kids have special needs is part of the work that we have to do as a family. So work is not just, again, it's, I'm not trying to just create a category for those who have um, employment. Work is how we spend our hours cultivating things. And so we all have that, whether we're students, whether we're um, parents, grandparents, whether we work in an office, whether we work in construction, whether we're pastors, work is a huge part of what it means to be human. Um, Hugh Halter is someone who's influenced my thinking a lot. And he says, the way someone finds the sacred is by seeing God use their secular vocation and lot in life. The way someone finds the sacred is by seeing God use those kind of ordinary hours doing the ordinary things that make up your life. Um, I'll talk a little bit about my own um, sort of somewhat unique work situation. Uh, I've had a lot of jobs. Um, I, uh, my first job was at Boost Juice and I uh, absolutely hated it. So I got out of there as quick as I could. Actually, I had a friend in high school who got me the job at Boost Juice and then she immediately got a job at Hoyts. And then I was like, you got to get me a job at Hoyts. And somehow that happened. So one month later, I moved from Boost Juice to Hoyts. Uh, then I was complaining about working at Hoyts one night to some people who were buying movie tickets. They happened to work for Westfield, but I was complaining in a way that was apparently charming and charismatic. So they gave me a job at Westfield. Uh, and then I had a job uh, doing before and after school care. Then I was a school chaplain. Then I was a youth worker. You know, I've done a lot of jobs. And in all of these contexts, um, there were different things to learn and enjoy and there were different things to be frustrated by and to bump up against. Um, but for the last six or seven years, um, I have been bivocational, which essentially means that uh, I have kind of split my full-time work across uh, at least two different jobs, sometimes arguably more. Um, and during that time, for the last six or seven years, there's been a work component in my life that has been overtly uh, pastoral ministry context, um, you know, working as a pastor at, at Narara and now kind of doing this meeting ground church plant thing. Um, and then I've had, you know, the rest of my work or sort of 60 or 70% of my work has been working in the community, uh, working as a creative artist, um, you know, doing things that are uh, secular, I guess. Um, and this kind of mix, this bivocational, having two kind of jobs, having a, a kind of, you know, finger in this ministry pie and then this kind of more broad community sort of context pie, um, often feels and it can feel at its worst like I've just, I've just made my life 
doubly complex. And I've just chosen to make life feel like there are more complex and at times competing demands. And uh, I don't know if anybody else on the call here works for, you know, a couple of different people, has a couple of different jobs, but it can be um, a little bit of a mental headache. Um, but the flip side is that the reason I do it and, and what it can be at its best is actually an opportunity to integrate these things together and for all of my life um, to be not, not in, in division or not to be working against each other, but to be a unified whole. And so very much for me, you know, um, and again, this is kind of unique. I'm going to draw some principles out of it that will apply for whatever your context is. But for me, this has been motivated by how can I actually look at my whole of life and what I do with my waking hours and how I make my money integrates with where I want to be in the community, who I want to be as a follower of Jesus and what I want to kind of do with my hands and my mind, mainly my mind. Let's be honest, I can't do a lot with my hands. But um, so the deep motivation of the BIVO life for me is actually about integration. It's about um, unification. It's about harmony across my life. And when I talk before about that kind of broader understanding of work, that's true also of the domestic aspect of work in my life. And it's true of the parenting aspect of the work in my life. I have more than two roles. I have multiple roles, but my goal, my heart is for everything in my life to be leveraged for the one kind of larger purpose of loving God and loving neighbor and doing that in the places where I am. And, um, you know, as much as I think it's really healthy to have good boundaries between kind of work and home, and I'm all for whatever helps you to transition between those spaces, physically, psychologically, whatever. Um, I actually think that the idea of this work-life balance, like if you actually listen to those words, we separate work and life, and life is everything that happens outside of work. Um, that's a weird way of phrasing it. And so work is not just about the things I get paid to do. It's about looking at my whole life as how do I healthily cultivate and nurture everything within the scope of what God has, has given me, I guess, responsibility within or connection to. Um, here's another quote from Rich, Rich Velotis that speaks to this. He says, deeply formed mission resists the pull of compartmentalization. We don't just bring our skills and aptitude to the workplace. We bring our very selves. Our being is connected to our doing. We don't work merely to be productive. Our presence is a valuable gift we bring to the ethos of the workplace. This is why we can't separate monastic rhythms from the work we do. I love all of this stuff. And I guess what I want to kind of draw out of it is that this idea of a bivo approach to life or a bivocational approach to life is not just a framework for employment. It's a framework for looking at all the parts of your life and being bivocational, like I said before, is about bringing different parts together for a unified whole. So um, for pastors that are bivocational, there can be a bunch of reasons to make that decision but I want you to think more, more about your life and your context. What does it mean to look at your vocation as all the spaces that you're called, all the roles that you have, all the people that you're connected with and ask, 
could all of this kind of hum together in harmony in a way that brings good news, in a way that is holistic, in a way where this part of my life is not competing with this part of my life? I know there's a lot of very real tensions there, particularly when you've got young kids or if you're in the pandemic and your work has come home and all of this stuff is quite challenging, but uh, I constantly want to be someone who asks, how can I leverage everything I have for one sense of calling? Now, you might wonder, and a, a kind of logical question that would drop out of this is, what is my calling? Do I have a calling? Maybe that's just something that some special people have, or it seems unclear. I haven't discovered it yet. And something that somebody said to me a couple of years ago that I found really helpful um, and I encourage you to think about is that when it comes to this idea of calling, um, 80% of our calling is, is the same no matter who we are and 20% is maybe unique to us. And to unpack that, 80%, the 80% is that we're all called to love God and to love neighbour. We're all called, you know, if we're followers of Jesus, to seek to nurture his life within us and then to share his life through us. And so that part is actually the same. Like there's your calling if, if you're someone who's trying to follow Jesus, love God, love neighbour, develop Christ in you and live Christ through you. Um, the 20% is maybe, well, what does it look like to do that as a tradie? What does it look like to do that as a teacher? Or what does it look like to do that as a stay-at-home parent in this season in my life? And so I find that a really, like, liberating reminder that um, the 20% matters and working that out can be a really wonderful, exciting journey of figuring out how has God wired me. But don't spend all your time figuring that out because the 80% is kind of just, like, obvious and the same and we don't have to like stress about what our unique calling is we just got to figure out how to love god and love neighbor where we are so um the trappist monks um were kind of you know a lot of the stuff i'm talking about the whole bible way like these guys were the ogs of it back in the sixth century people like saint benedict you know they had this little phrase uh aura et labora I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but aura et labora translates to pray and work. And is this idea for the Trappist monks that the work of life, or I guess the bivocational work of life was to approach life in a prayerful way, in a contemplative prayerful way where you are seeing the sacred divine presence of God, you know, in every moment and space and you're doing good work, whether that is, you know, like uh, work in the garden, or work creating physical things, uh, or, or work, you know, um, brewing beer, you know, but, but pray and work. And I just think that's a great, simple phrase. Like if you want to be a street preacher at work, develop the ethos of Trappist monks where your approach to work is, is prayerful and doing the work, you know, pray and work. Do what you uh, have responsibility for to the best of your abilities. So what does it look like to integrate our work with good news uh, and to use a word like evangelism, you know, which is about the words we speak as well as our actions? And I guess one of the things I want to say, and it kind of hopefully has been building up throughout this um, so far, is that evangelism always flows out of a context. Um, and whether or not evangelism is good news, I think has a lot to do with the surrounding um, context of that person. So when I actually think about street preachers, 
I think about like when I was at uni, there was literally this guy that would stand in the middle of the campus and just read from his Bible every day and kind of maybe say a few extra sort of angry words. And it just wasn't good news because the whole context of that was just some random dude um, who there wasn't a deeply embedded, integrated relational connection. Um, But when I think about someone who I you know, have relationship with someone who I know does great work, someone who's great to be on a team with, someone who is actually interested in my life, someone who is patient and kind and caring, someone who invites me into their life and extends hospitality and they want to open up about what they believe or about what Jesus is doing in their life, that feels very different, even though the evangelistic message could be the same. See what I'm saying here? So evangelism always comes within a context and I don't think we need more evangelism strategies we don't need more how to share the gospel in three sentences or on a napkin or whatever we actually need to focus on that work that jesus did for three decades of developing a reputation of being the kind of people who over the long term are embedded in a place uh, are good news are patient are kind are compassionate and when we speak it flows forth from the ground that we have been tending to that whole time so I want to give you some practical thoughts just to kind of, as we sort of get towards the end, I don't know where I'm at in my 12 to 18 minutes. I wasted some time with the charger incident, but hopefully I'm still roughly within the, uh, the approximate window here. Um, there's some thoughts that may help you as you consider like what it, what it looks like to become good news in and through your work and re-emphasizing that parenting kids is a workplace, studying a degree is a workplace, um, domestic work is part of the whole um, work is all the things we cultivate. Thank you, Jamie Day, for reminding me that it's very strict. Do feel free to ding a bell when the time comes and unmute to do that. Um, so here are some things that I think are helpful, particularly as we think about our current context. Um, in your work, again, whatever it is, do you practice healthy rhythms of work and rest? Do you have that mix of the, con- the contemplation with the action? You know, if we're going to talk about Trappist monks who pray and work or if we're going to talk about the rhythms of Jesus at work and if we're going to think about our work culture, which is so leaning towards overwork, leaning towards productivity, you know, capitalist, endless excess, I think one way that we can build a reputation and a sense of good news around ourselves is being people that work in a way that has sustainable rhythms of work and rest. I know with Benj, as, as your pastor, you hear plenty about, about the role of Sabbath and about these kind of practices of the inner work and the inner rest, but I think it's just so important. One simple way we can be good news is to not always be someone who works through our lunch break. Um, you know, the way that you are, and I know this is different if many of us have had our work moved to home, so we might have to get more creative, but the way that you are within a workplace or with your clients or with your team or, or you know, with the people you connect with, um, you are like a social creature and the little things that you do echo out to the sides. So if you're someone who always eats your lunch at your desk, for example, it's just one example. You eat your lunch at your desk and you keep working. It's more likely that the people to the left and the right of you will do that as well. Whereas if you're somebody who stops and you put the phone away 
for 15 minutes, a half an hour, and you actually ask people about their lives, that becomes more normative. That's a simple way of bringing a rhythm of work and rest into your day. So I'd ask you in the small ways and in the bigger ways, do you have those rhythms that can ripple out and help to shape culture, help to influence the people around you? I'm self-employed, so uh, I spend a lot of time just here at my desk, just spending quality lunch breaks with me. Not really. Um, actually, uh, that's an opportunity where I can, I can choose to take that lunch and be with my kids. That's part of the gift of working from home and to try and be present to that. And that's another way of nurturing good news, you know, in, in my household. So I think that you can think about that, whatever your context is. Healthy rhythms of work and rest. Second, um, seek to understand your work through the narrative of the kingdom of God. You know, whatever your work is, I think, unless it's highly shady and you're a mob boss, most work can be seen through a lens of helping to bring about human flourishing and dignity, whether that's keeping our streets clean from rubbish or whether that's, you know, helping to um, sell products that can be part of adding value to people's lives. Like, can you think about what you do um, through a lens of how does this help bring shalom? How does this help bring good news? Um, if it's really hard to answer those questions, maybe worth thinking about is what I'm currently doing for work where I want to be long-term? Because I know for me, I for sure want to be in a, in a space where I can connect my sense of work with um, that broader narrative of I want to be about building um, that helping to restore shalom, helping to see the kingdom of God come, helping to be good news in the neighbourhood. Um, third, and I've kind of already said it, but just approach your work with a desire to build a good reputation over the long term. Um, I feel really lucky. You know, some of the stuff I get to do at this point in my life for work is, is super fun. Um, I sort of pinch myself every day that I'm uh, self-employed, creative, doing work that I think kind of matters. But so much of that has actually come through like very unexpected, um, the slow development of relationships and connections and things that kind of have bubbled up over a number of years and arguably through just a certain sort of the reputation that develops around that. And I think that can be true for any of us. But whatever you do, like, you know, to be a good, a good news person at work, um, I don't think you can. And that's why that one verse of, of Jesus growing in favour with God and man, what does it look like in your context to grow with favour, in favour with God and man over those long chunks, over the 10 years, the 18 years, the 30 years? I mean, whatever a career is these days, like, what does it look like to be someone who develops a reputation of good news um, and, and he kind of is there for that, that long term? And you can obviously change jobs and have different directions, but you always carry with you um, the reputation of, of what you have, you know, done to that point. And that can be something that, you know, we might breathe a sigh of relief or we might go, oh, dang. My, my reputation that is following me may not be so good, but we always have a chance, I guess, to kind of go, yep, what are the small actions I can take today, this week, this month, this year to build um, a reputation of being someone who is actually, if I share good news verbally, it's coming out of a certain kind of soil. It's coming out of a certain kind of person and presence. And then finally, um, I would just say, 
when you have the opportunities to share about, um, you know, what it means that Christ brings you in a peace or that Christ is your hope or that, you know, the story of Jesus is how you make sense of the world, um, do it naturally and don't try and just force it in. And I feel like, you know, um, like many things, people stop doing that because they only associate that being done in very forceful, awkward, wedged in kind of bait and switch ways. So they just completely stop. And I think there's a, there's a, a way of actually being very, you know, it, it, again, if your life is integrated, if your life is holistic, if Jesus is Lord is a statement that you want to make sense of you and your way of being in the world, then it should be quite, that, that comes up quite naturally, I think, in many conversations. And I've had conversations with people in juvenile justice centres or in um, schools or in, you know, uh, clients that have hired me to do a job that's about communicating around mental health. And it will just often, um, when there's an opportunity to share, it's, it's quite natural. It doesn't have to feel forced. And um, so I would just encourage you just to like look for the natural chances to be a person of integrity, to be holistic and to share who you are and to bring who you are. You shouldn't have to hide who you are, but you also shouldn't have to like megaphone, amplify, you know, uh, ruin the peaceful airwaves with who you are. Um, so we weave together. And I guess that's what the, the whole point of everything I'm saying is to seek to be a person who lives an integrated life. Um, so practice healthy rhythms of work and rest. Understand your work through the narrative of the kingdom of God and bringing shalom. Build a reputation over the long term that lays the foundation for being a person of good news. And when there are opportunities to share, do it naturally um, and do it in, in language that feels real to you. Doesn't, don't worry about what the, the book over there says or, you know, if it doesn't feel like it's how you would say it, then don't say it. Uh, on the other hand, how would you put words to what it means that um, Christ brings hope um, and life in you? All right, final little quote and then I'm done. Um, Again, thanks to our boy, Rich Velotis. He's just given us, we can, we can just steal from his book for the next five years worth of messages. Um, but I love this. He says, I'm reminded of the words of poet and essayist Dorothy Sayers, who wrote that the very first demand that a carpenter's religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. What good is our witness to Christ if we talk about him to everyone but do our jobs poorly? That is why offering high quality work is part of our missional call. When I speak of our work being of this quality, I have in mind integrity of character as well as our commitment to demonstrating excellence. In the words of Dr. King, if it falls your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep streets like Michelangelo painted pictures, like Shakespeare wrote poetry, like Beethoven composed music, sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will have pause to say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. May it be true of us.